just say yes. Like if you get an opportunity, you get asked to take on a new challenge, a new project, a new program, maybe one that's struggling. If your boss or your boss's boss asks you to step in and lead that program, just do it. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Modern Business Operations. My name is Sergey. I'm the CEO and father of Tonkin. And today I have the pleasure of hosting Josh, the CIO of Iron Mountain. Josh, thanks for joining me today. All right. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, like any other episode, you know, I want to start by learning more a little bit about you and how you got to be a CIO, a bit about the background. And if you want to share a little bit about Iron Mountain too. Yeah. Like you said, I'm you know currently the CIO at Iron Mountain. I live in Florida with my wife and two teenage daughters. In terms of how I got here, it's a super interesting story. Could pick up the whole time of the podcast. Briefly, you know, I began my career as a developer and I progressed through product engineering roles and enterprise architecture. And then I ran uh, quite a few large enterprise transformation roles at different Fortune 1000 companies. And that's really where I learned a lot about unlocking growth and optimizing costs along the way. And that experience is really serving me well in the current role where we're on this really amazing growth trajectory at Iron Mountain, something that we call Project Matterhorn. But as you'll learn more as I talk about this, a lot of what we're doing is not only growing the top line, but managing expense and cost along the way. And that's really, you know, enabled the enabling engine behind any true growth story. In terms of how I became CIO, I would say it's really kind of right place, right time, and always being willing to, to take on the hard job and surrounding myself with really smart people, you know, people much smarter than myself. I love that. It's already a good tip. Let's talk about a little bit more about that scaling thing, because I think what you mentioned, I want to hear like the specifics about our mountain, but it is very much also, I think, where a lot of companies find themselves in this last couple of years with the financial atmosphere changing where, you know, scale by any cost is long gone and it's, you know, you got to scale in there with the right cost. Yeah. Maybe we'll start with the specificity of Iron Mountain. What I can say is, you know, this unique vantage point that I have as the CIO of my organization, you know, which obviously is our GNA expense on the balance sheet is that thoughts leadership is really built into the DNA. You know, because this is such a direct impact on bottom line, right? So while we're positioned as an enabler of the tremendous growth transformation that I mentioned that Iron Mountain is growing through and experiencing at this moment in time, you know, our DNA is really shining through as we go through that. We're an optimization engine that's really propelling the overall value to, you know, to our customers, to our shareholders and to our stakeholders. So. You know, while a lot of times as an IT organization or a CIO led organization is seen as an afterthought, we're really seen as really the propellant, the rocket fuel in a true growth engine. Cause you know, there's a lot of things that you have to ensure that while you're managing the expense as the, the top line grows and you want to make sure that expense doesn't grow linearly or outpace the actual growth, or that's not a very compelling story. So let's double back into this. Cause I think a lot of leaders in general, but more specifically around CIO office in department or COO in operation teams. I think a lot of times this is the job in many ways, but so many times to what you alluded to, 
it's not ended up like that. It becomes more of an afterthought and not necessarily something that leads the mark. What is it in your quarantine that were, you know, you were able to get to that point? It's a good call out. And I think one approach that I take personally, and I, I've learned from some different mentors that I've had, you know, along the way, I, as I mentioned, you know, the long winding road to the CIO office is really how we think about efficiency and, and cost optimization really starts with the people, you know, and you have to have a very people centric organization and people who are passionate about their job and why they do the job. And I think if you start there and you build really a culture of trust, transparency, accountability, and, and empowerment, then that can make all the difference between you know, an organization that just sees themselves as an afterthought and then the business sees as a black box versus really, an, like I said, a, an enabler to growth and an enabler to the broader business transformation that's going on. It's something that I like to think about You know, when we talk about, say, automation as an enabler of the growth engine and of optimization. You know, if I were to summarize automation, I would think about our goal is always to reduce manual effort or toil for the employees, for the customers, but also do this while we're also ensuring that we're improving quality, we're improving efficiency, and we're ultimately improving the experience for the user of the service. So that's how we try to think about it. So if I understand it correctly, this is not only externally for your customers, internally the way you guys work, right? Right. It's intrinsic. It's internal to our DNA. It's how we operate from a monthly culture series that we run within, you know, my enterprise IT organization to how we run town halls. I can give an example. I just had my Q3 town hall two days ago and the day after every town hall, we don't do a Q&A session at the end of a town hall. What I do is I schedule an hour long. It's got a bit of a silly name, but we call it a, a chat with Josh the day after. And it's just an hour long open door policy. Everyone in the organization is invited and it's to come talk about what we just discussed in the town hall. It's to discuss, you know, you can, we can talk about your personal life, trips that you've taken, questions about the company strategy. And if I know the answer and I'm able to discuss the answer, then I'm going to share it with you. I really believe in a culture of trust and transparency. I honestly could not agree more, right? I think the, the people-centric, sometimes even people-first approach is what people forget that everything we do here is we, we do it with people. Like you take the people out, you know, all those Carmageddon type of movies, you know, you take the people out, there's nothing, the, none of the rest of it is going to remain. Like your customers are people, your employees are people, you are a person, right? And so it's so important to point that out. And it's almost like funny that we need to point it out. But if I do go back to some of the practicality, which I think this is why it's hard to sometimes get this across. You mentioned something that I really appreciate, which is when you think about automation, when you think about, you know, not doing the least amount of manual work, you focus on the quality though, also on the experience of everyone. Do you have some examples of where you maybe didn't have that out of the box, you know, inherently the culture or something that kind of moved away from that, that she catched and said, no, we'd not do that like that. We would invest resources or time or focus, honestly, into prioritizing, fixing this. Yeah, I can give a, a recent example that I think kind of shed some light into how we think about this. Um, obviously, everyone's super excited about 
you know, AI and Gen AI lately, you probably can't escape one of these podcasts without Gen AI coming up, right? So I'll tell you at Iron Mountain, the, the first question for all CIOs with generative AI that came up was governance, right? What are we going to do from a policy standpoint, from a security standpoint? Are we going to lock it down? Are we going to be very open? When you're at a Fortune 1000 company and we're highly regulated, so we really had to think long and hard. And I work closely with my legal teams around how are we going to approach this? So the first foray for us into AI and Gen AI, beyond what we were already building into our products, was really around how are we going to enable the whole you know base of employees to experiment and explore, but do it safely where we don't run the risk of any data leakage or any security or privacy concerns. But then that we quickly evolved into where we're at today, which is what we want to do, we're forming a, what we're calling the AI COE, and that lives in my organization. It's going to roll up into my chief enterprise architect, a gentleman named Swami Jayaraman, who's doing a, a really fantastic job. And the goal there, again, is not to stifle innovation, but it's really to harness the broad power of all of Iron Mountain, bring everybody's ideas together, but to make sure that we're doing this in a way that's controlled, secure, protected. And that all the investments that we're making are targeted investments in a way that's going to actually continue to propel this engine that we're building, right? We're, we're targeted on driving growth. We're optimizing cost. And we're going to ask all the functions or all the business segments who bring these ideas in to co-develop business cases with us that have true ROI backing that they're going to sign up for. And then we're going to do the development and the engineering, which is going to include education and upskilling of our current IT staff. And then as we develop this technology, we're going to have this iterative process where there's going to be testing done by the business units or the functions. And then as we roll this out, then they're going to be on the hook for then delivering on the ROI that comes from what they originally signed up for. So that's just one example where there was a lot of work and experimentation and things happening out in pockets. And we've now harnessed the power of that, brought it all together and tried to build Think of it like a laser beam, right? There was like scattered light everywhere. We're trying to build more of like a focused laser where we can really get everyone pointed in the same direction. Basically, embracing some of those innovation and opportunities and see them as an opportunity for you guys to, like you said, not being an afterthought or a blocker, but someone that can actually provide insights and drive even some of those initiatives practically, right? Like, I think this is what COEs are meant to be, like send over access right. people don't know what that means. What they're meant to be the place that you incubate some of those things and then help drive it. Yeah, absolutely. By centralizing this and then focusing, we can build on the great work of others. You can take a foundation and build a layer upon layer on layer. Instead of reinventing the wheel every single time, which obviously very much lacks efficiency. There's something funny. I have a specific vintage point because I'm you know, fortunate to talk to a lot of different people and it's usually executives and leaders, right? From a lot of different departments in different areas. And what I find slightly amusing, and I'm not to put you on the spot, right? But like a lot of IT organizations are being viewed by the business as like a blocker, right? So. Yeah. You know, when you think about the after effect. Now, the funny thing though is when I hear a legal leader tell me that legal also for a lot of other departments looks like a blocker, 
sometimes. Right. And procurement or finance looks for the other team, they look like a blocker sometimes. And even sales and marketing and other, and product and engineering, you know, they're all at some point for certain things can be viewed as a blocker or as an after effect, you know, and you can name it different things. But essentially to me, the way I think about it sometimes is where they're not leveraged to what they're good at right. early enough or at the right time where that leverage happens. If you had the chance to work in B company and a small company, but only if you had the chance to work in both, because if you only ever work in small companies, you won't understand the pain. And if you only work in, in big companies, you won't understand that it can be different. Where it's really on a one-to-one, where there's only one person that is in each of those roles, then it's much actually naturally that those teams collaborate. So where I'm going with this is that if that sounds like your guys' culture and the way you frame it, that collaboration, that understanding of more than just like everyone has the best intentions, but it sounds like there's an active or proactive approach to look outside and understand how can I leverage myself? How can I be a leverager? Again, not putting you on the spot, but trying to squeeze any type of learnings from you, right? Because it's such a common challenge for leaders. This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. Tonkin's process experience platform seamlessly wraps around existing policies and systems, allowing internal service teams to do more with what they already have. Build process experiences that are personalized for each requester and use AI to automate the intake, triage, and resolution of every request. Maximize adoption, compliance, and efficiency with no change management and no code. Yeah, it's a good call. How I would frame what you're saying is that I think our base instinct is to take a very self-centered view of the world of the piece of the process that you own, however you want to think of it, right? And then once you can no longer do it yourself and then you need someone else, by the time that piece happens, it's already late. Like you need it yesterday and your instinct is to be like, oh my God, they're so slow. You know, I needed this yesterday. And you lose sight of the fact that, well, if I would have brought everyone together early and we could have orchestrated this very well, Everyone could have been working in parallel and, you know, we could have actually gotten this done much more efficiently and we probably could create a very repeatable process. And there's a whole diatribe I could go into on the more we can sell standard versus snowflake, the easier it is to deliver the standard, you know, versus if if it's hard to scale snowflakes, if you understand what I'm talking about in terms of snowflake and every bespoke ad hoc things don't scale globally, right? So what I do, I try to talk to the other leaders in my company about this specific problem. And we try to get together as a group to talk about how do we understand end-to-end process, number one, and then how do we build the come-together piece as soon as we learn about that work is required, work is happening, and get everyone working kind of in a straight line, but kick off everyone's piece at the same time. So if the IT work is going to take three months let's start three months before you need it, not the day you need it. And then it's going to take three months and we're going to, there's no chance of customer delight if you do it the old way, right? So we kind of start from that customer-centric, customer delight model, whether my customer is an internal stakeholder or the actual end user as the customer. Another thing that, you know, I was curious, you kind of touched on it now with coming together with different leaders in the company, right? I'm kind of leaning 
towards like a, what does the organizational structure look like? There's a situation where it's very efficient to go through the chain of command. Sometimes people create like those, it's like SWAT teams or like inner teams. Center of excellence is another like organizational method that helps with certain cross company initiatives. We're talking about from an IT perspective, it's not only IT, right? We inject people into those think tanks or into those micro leadership teams, right? For like this line of product or for this initiative, I'm like you're growing in Asia. So like for that initiative, who are the leaders in that initiative from all the different functional areas and give them the empowerment to your earlier point to drive their thing. The reason I'm coming to all of this is because how do you balance it with cost efficiency? Well, this is where it's really hard is you, if you have un, unlimited cash, as you can see in some of those behemoths, you know, Facebook slash Meta, Google, all that stuff, they were known into like product program managers and planning ahead, but then they become so inefficient by trying to be efficient, you know, with all this extra fat. And it was not controversial. Like everyone knows that, right? So now the question is, how do you do both? Yeah. I mean, I think for us, the, the way I think about it is we're organized very much by, you know, your traditional function and business unit, the operating unit, right? And the way, you know, within IT, I try to think of those operating units, those business lines or the functions as my customers. So. I almost think of IT as kind of running a mini product organization. We're delivering IT services as a product. And what I try to do more often than not is deliver those services in a fixed capacity model. I try to make my function leaders or the, the business unit leaders aware of like, this is the capacity that I have to service you, specifically you. You do what you want with that capacity. And then underlying that, is our enterprise platform strategy. And that's where we gain the most efficiency because like I was saying before, the less snowflakes, the less ad hoc that, that we have in the system, the more efficient we can be. So the build, support, maintenance of the platforms is another layer that then we manage. So as we solution for a given business segment or a given function, we're always solutioning on top of existing, you know, platforms that I brought in, you know, when I got here four years ago. So it's kind of a combination of that horizontal platform strategy mixed in with the vertical alignment on how we deliver IT as a product to the internal stakeholders. I think there's nothing very deep in that, like where, and I've, again, I've had the fortune of talking to a lot of people and I think many people do see their other department as their customers. But I think there's a nuance to what you said, which I think is important, which is managing your own department, not in a style of from the sense of like, we're just doing our job and kind of like carrying our part of the load, but instead we're an entity that is meant to like built to like operating to service our customers is those different departments. But we measure ourselves as it's almost like a standalone entity that is meant to service those folks. And I think 
honestly, if everyone would have done that's a system that can actually work instead of thinking about it as collaboration in the sense of like, we're all working on the same goal, which is also true. But when you think about it from that perspective, that's when you start to have like too many layers of decision-making and there's not, you know, a frame of thought. And if you think about yourself, like, I do this and you do this and you do this and I done, I just pass it on to you. Then you lose the other side of it, right? Which is the only person that can orchestrate it is the CEO, which is not scalable. But if you have each of the functional areas think of themselves as our customers, it's not the company customers, our customers is these people, but we treat them as the way that the company treats their customers. Right. Because I think that's valid for sales teams, for engineering team, for product team, for legal team, for finance team, every one of the different functions, if they understand that the only team that actually serves the customers is the customer service, everyone else are servicing each other, then everything will be easier. If sales, for example, would understand that they're bringing revenue, yes, but what they're actually bringing is accounts or the account management team and the customer success team. If engineering understand that what their customers are not only the customers, but also sales team is the, their customer, they need to be able to demo those things early enough and know about it early enough. You know what I mean? Like if everyone would actually map the different organization dependencies, not as dependencies, but as business that pays for their. Right. Build that value stream all the way out. Yeah. Because I don't test with frameworks, you know, like, because I agree with you, the culture is everything, but it's really hard to manufacture culture. And worse than that, not everyone has the luxury of having a good culture. You know, they might step into a place that they're trying to make better, right. but the culture is not fully there. And changing people is the hardest thing, if not impossible thing. What is the framework that you can try to put in that the end result naturally would become the end result that you want? Yeah. I always say that the two biggest assets any corporation has, big or small, are its people and its data. You have to protect your people, find the good people, protect them. And then the data, you want to become, if you're not already, a fact-based organization. You don't want to be an organization that's making gut-based decisions. So you want to quickly pivot to a really robust enterprise data strategy. And then if your customers aren't used to interacting with you on a data and fact basis versus a subjective, you know, yeah, this quarter you guys did great. Yeah, last quarter you guys weren't so great. You know, you got to pivot them to a very much a fact-based you know, method of working with you. Um, so I really believe strongly in data, be, be fact-based, which has its roots in data. And now with AI, everything is data, right? If it's garbage data and you're going to get garbage data out from any, you know, AI models that you build and then your people. I think you can say that you'll get garbage data out from people too. It's <laughs> garbage. Cool, man. Well, this was awesome. Like, you know, we had a lot of advices here. That was a very advice-heavy conversation, which I love. I'll still, you know, love, always ask what this is the personal advice you got in your career that you feel like you can pay forward. And a lot of people striving their career to get, to be an executive in a big company and lead organizations. What is something strikes for you that, you know, was impactful? Yeah, sure. The advice I always give, you know, I get this question a lot and I don't know that I ever received this advice, but something I've always done in my career and I always give to, you know, early career folks that I talk to now are 
just say yes. Like if you get an opportunity, you get asked to take on a new challenge, a new project, a new program, maybe one that's struggling. If someone, if your boss or your boss's boss asks you to step in and lead that program, just do it. Like I, I meet so many people these days who are, who say no to me, say no to other leaders in the company. And it kind of baffled me, you know, they might say, well, that's not on my five-year career plan or, or whatever. And I will just say that there's so many things I've done in my career because I said yes without even really knowing what I said yes to. I mean, I said yes to taking the CIO job. I mean, I got a phone call on a Sunday and they're like, hey, we want you to be CIO. And I was like, sure. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I would just say, I mean, it, you learn so much by being stretched and you learn by doing hard things. You know, you don't learn by a five-year plan that you write on a piece of paper and every single thing going right. So I just encourage people to say yes and, and solve problems for your bosses and for your leaders. I show that you're uh, someone who can step up and, and do more than you think you can. I love that. I cannot agree more. The one thing I would add, if you don't mind, is that I think many people are doing yes, but if they say yes, and I think the people that actually grow fastest in titles are the people that did not ask for the titles. They're taking the work, they're taking the responsibility. That's even more important. And they're, like you said, they're saying yes to the challenge that comes in. And then more often than not, if not most of the cases in my experience, at least because I work in big companies too, the, that leads to that responsibility, you know, in right. the bigger title with the bigger team and all that stuff. Yeah. The recognition will come. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and I, I love that. I love that. So thank you for that. Well, it was awesome talking. I think, like I said, there's a lot of great insights here and learning. If someone want to, you know, ping you, ask your question or just follow, is that LinkedIn? Is that Twitter slash X? Where do you hang? Yeah. LinkedIn is probably the best for work. Yeah. I'm on some of the other ones too. People can probably find me, but yeah, hit me on LinkedIn and in the comment, say that you heard the podcast. So I know cause I don't respond to everything, but yeah, drop a note about the podcast and I'll definitely accept you. Awesome. And then just real quick, if there's any like CIOs out there that are struggling to do the job, one thing I love about what I do at Iron Mountain is that I get to consume Iron Mountain services and kind of help shape the services that we offer, you know, whether it's from data center or our asset lifecycle management business. And I think that puts me in a really unique position to just be out there talking to other CIOs and explaining the transformation that we go through and how I build culture, but also how I consume Iron Mountain services. So if you want to ever talk to me about that or talk to anyone in our ALM team or our data center team or any of our other services, I'm happy to set that up. We have a really compelling story and we're a very different Iron Mountain today than we were four years ago. So definitely reach out about that as well. It's pretty exciting what we're doing over here. Awesome, man. Yeah, that sounds transformational for sure. You know, I think the way you describe it, the way you guys operate is quite poster boy for like, what do you want organization to unlock? So good stuff, man. Awesome. Well, congrats for everything. Thank you for the conversation, man. Yeah, this was great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited and, and congrats on the podcast. This is really cool. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkeen.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. 
And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Tonkin community at tonkin.com community. 